0: Hey everyone, thank you for tuning in. Dave Riesinger here, Redeemed Church Online, and I am so excited about this word today. Um, I really pray that the Lord would speak to you because there are a couple keys, one in particular, but uh, at least two keys that we're going to talk about today um, that drastically impact and affect your life. And, uh, you know, I was thinking about this idea of like when someone has a key or someone has uh, a certain a set of, of knowledge or access to success, um, you, can, you can take away their success, but if they have the key, they're going to get the success back. Uh, for instance, I have friends that are in business, and they've gone bankrupt, and they had really successful businesses, and the economy hit, maybe they were overextended, or uh, you know something crazy happened, and you'd think like, man, you had this amazing level of financial success, and now it's gone. Now what are you going to do? Well, what they did, uh, a a few of them uh, that I've talked to over the years, what they did is they used the same principles or the same keys, and they got their financial success back. You know, you have lottery winners who are just lucky, Um, but I'm telling you, there are natural laws and spiritual laws that if we understand them We can go through life not hoping that God would cause us to be lucky and experience the abundant Christian life that he called us to or walk in peace or walk in protection or walk with um, the boldness and the courage uh, to to navigate life in shark-infested waters. We don't need to hope in luck. We can actually trust God's word that he's given us keys that if we use them, they're guaranteed to work because God's word will not come back void, but it will accomplish that which he sent it forth to accomplish. And so Psalm 91, we're in week two of this, uh, of this psalm. And uh, last week, I only dove into verse number one. This psalm is declaring God's promise of protection from an array of threats and attacks. So I just want to read it. And here's what the, the whole psalm says. Psalm 91 says, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God. In Him I will trust. Surely He shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. He shall cover you with His feathers, and under His wings you shall take refuge. His truth, Shall be your shield and buckler. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor of the arrow that flies by day, nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. Only with your eyes shall you look and see the reward of the wicked, because you have made the Lord, who is my refuge, even the Most High your dwelling place. No evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling, for he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. And in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. You shall tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent you shall trample underfoot, because he has set his love upon me. Therefore, I will deliver him I will set him on high because he has known my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him with long life. I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Now what I love about this, this is a messianic psalm, but it's also a promise to the believers that dwell inside of the Messiah. The secret place that we have as New Testament believers when I've received Jesus and I said, Lord, I believe that I'm a sinner. I know that I have a death sentence called eternal damnation. And only in you, the way, the truth, and the light, the door, the light, the bread, right? Only you provide atonement and salvation. And so God, I give my life to you. And when we do this, Jesus Christ, he lives in us. And then God also puts us in Christ. So he is our dwelling place, but just because we're attached and we're saved and his blood covers us, the Lord is reminding us that there are levels of this attachment. Yes, we're secured for eternity when we've received him, but while we're here on earth, our level of abiding in him, our level of dwelling in the secret place and the shelter of the most high, which is our relationship with Christ, it will determine the level of peace many, many times levels of protection, the levels of victory that we have in our life. I could be saved going to heaven, but live far below the, the life that God has promised me. And so here's the cool thing. God didn't just save you and say, just hold on and just just wait until eternity, it'll all get better. He said, no, while you're on this earth, while you're walking this journey, I'm providing you an opportunity and access, to enjoy a life with me and through me that is far greater than you could ever imagine if you'll use these keys. Now, check this out. We saw this passage here, and what did it list? It compared a bunch of threats and a bunch of attacks um, to uh, to the protection of God. So God holds his, his protection and his victory up against everything that would come against us. So here's what I read in there. These are the things that come against you and I in spiritual ways, sometimes physical ways. Snares, <clears throat> pestilence, terror by night. Can I get an amen? Anybody stayed up all night, your mind spinning and anxiety just like raging in, in, in your chest. Terror by night, arrows by day, destruction at noonday. He talks about tens of thousands of people being impacted, affected, or destroyed around you. Evil, plagues, and then he uses this language or the symbolism, lions and cobras. Lions are loud and intimidating attacks. These are things that just come against you aggressively. But a cobra is an attack that is subtle. It's crafty. It's quietly positioning itself to sneak up on you and you don't generally see it coming. But here's the thing. With all of those, the Bible says here in Psalm 91 that the mighty defense of the Lord will not be defeated for those who abide or those who dwell under the shadow of the Most High. And so I love this because verse number one tells us who is able to go into this place and the benefits um, from accessing it. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. But verse two, it, it reveals how we access, not just who can access it, but how we access it and how we dwell in it. And this is where I wanna get into the message. It says right here in verse two, I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I will trust. The title of the message today is I Will Say. Now this is interesting because he's saying, he's almost talking to himself like, I'm gonna say, and here's what I'm gonna say. You know that the power of words is a spiritual law, it's a key that causes us to access so much of what God has for us. And again, God created spiritual laws that govern our existence and the quality of the experience that you and I have in this life. The same way we have natural laws in this world, we simultaneously have spiritual laws that whether we believe in them or not, they exist. You can you not believe in gravity. And if you walk off the edge of a cliff, you're gonna find out real quick that your lack of belief in gravity didn't matter. It's unchangeable, it's unquestionable. Now, God can override that, and He could cause angels to come bear you up and pick you up while you're falling off a cliff. But for the most part, what He's saying here is there are laws that God has put in place naturally and spiritually. And they're constant, unchanging, and they're essential for life. And so these spiritual laws that God designed many times, they're reflected in natural laws. Well, why is that? Why do we see things in the earth, things in uh, biology, things in the heavens that reflect spiritual laws because all of creation declares the glory of God. And God created even natural laws um, to cause us to get a better glimpse of the spiritual laws that He's called us to walk in. This is why when Jesus Christ used parables, He was connecting kingdom ideas in, in heaven with things on earth so we would get a better picture of it. Many times Jesus said, The kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is like, and then He defined it by something in the natural so we would get a better glimpse of what was happening behind the scene in the spiritual. So here are some natural laws, and then we're gonna dive into um, I will say, and why our words are one of the keys that allow us access to enter and to dwell in the secret place. So some natural laws, and there's so many and so many categories, but we have uh, the law of, of life. The law of life is biogenesis. That means that life will always come from another life source. Uh, The law of chemistry, life requires a certain concoction, a certain chemistry for life to continue or to be birthed or to to exist or or perpetuate. Um, There's laws of physics, laws of thermodynamics, there's laws of mathematics, there's laws of uniformity in nature. But then there are spiritual laws. Maybe you've heard of the four spiritual laws. Number one is that God has a wonderful plan for your life. Number two is that humanity is tainted by sin. And therefore separated from God number three is that Jesus Christ is our only provision for that sin that we were born with and number four is that we have to place our trust and our faith in Jesus Christ to receive the gift of salvation and to know God's wonderful plan that he has for us so those are the four spiritual laws that kind of talk about salvation but there are also some other laws that we operate in, whether we know it or not. One is the law of seed time and harvest. We will reap what we sow. And, and when you think about it, again, this is a natural picture of farming, but you will reap the kind of seed you sow, it's going to produce. So whatever I reap, I'm going to sow. So there's the, here's the time element. I'm going to reap later than I sow. And then the third part of that is I'm going to reap more than what I sowed. I put a little seed in, I reap a big harvest, or a bigger harvest than the seed. So we all know that, and then most of the spiritual laws are based off of that one. So we have, again, here's another one, the law of transformation. If I wanna change my life, the Bible says there's a spiritual law that if I want to change who I am ongoingly and I wanna be a a more mature, a more peaceful, a more loving person next year, compared to what I am today, there's a law of transformation and whatever I meditate on is going to transform my life. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So the renewing of my mind will bring transformation into my life. That's a spiritual law. There's the law of fruitfulness. So fruitfulness is, is the, uh, the production of the, the spiritual elements like love, joy, peace, kindness, gentleness, self-control. If I want to be fruitful... There's a law, it's called the law of abiding, right? And, or the law of fruitfulness. This means that it's not by my effort that I can produce spiritual fruit. It's by my level of attachment to Jesus Christ. The more I deeply root in God's heart, in his will, the more I pursue him, um, that's my work, then he will add the fruitfulness to my life. That's a spiritual law. So spin your wheels and try harder, and strive, and work yourself uh, into exhaustion, and you will not be able to produce even the smallest piece of fruit spiritually. But if you fall deeper in love with Him, He will take care of that. That's a spiritual law. But the part that I want to hit on today is the law of the lips. And this is a law that is, throughout Scripture, teaching us um, a major key to experiencing the abundant life and the protection from this onslaught of wickedness that tries to discourage us and destroy us. Proverbs eighteen twenty one says this, death and life are in the power of the tongue. How many right now, just think, how many can connect with that? Your words have either encouraged or destroyed. Your words have touched a heart or broken a heart, or maybe that's happened to you. I mean, think about it. think about the power of words. Right now, we are in this pandemic. There are words that are causing fear. We are in a uh, time of racial tension. Uh, there are words that are going out um, from all different sorts of people in different positions. And these words are either bringing healing or they're stirring up animosity and hatred and fear and terror. Right? Think of the power of words. Words can save a life, but I also know stories of cruel words that caused suicide. I was just over at my my friend Justin's house and I was meeting with he and his wife Aviance and we were actually talking about just processing some of the racial tension that uh, has happened is, is happening right now in our culture. And we got onto this uh, this idea of you know, well, what's the solution? Like, how do we address this? And Justin was telling me about a time where he was working with at-risk kids in the school district, and he was kind of doing some gang prevention stuff. And, and so they would give him kids that were you know kind of the extreme cases. And he told this story that just so goes with this. He, he said, you know, one of these kids came in and this young man was super angry, really big kid. I think he said he was like six foot three, massive. And, uh, and so he had this intimidating presence. And this kid was just like using profanity and there's Justin trying to help him and to the leaders that were trying to help these young students, this young man was like telling terrible things about, you know, other people's moms and you know, the, your mama jokes, but it went beyond the jokes and he was trying to really hurt people with his words. And, and so it it would have been easy. And I think some people took the bait and, uh, you know, got angry at him, but Justin just kept asking him this one question. He said, what do you need? And the kid would just get angry. What do you mean, what do I need? It, your mom this, your mom that, blankety blank this. And then he would just quietly, just words of wisdom. He would say, but what do you need? What do you mean, what do I need? And it just kept going. And, and finally, the last time he says, I'm asking you, what do you really need? What do you need? And the kid just starts breaking down, crying. And he opens up about his own mom and what a terrible relationship he has, and how it rejected and abandoned he felt at home. Here's what was so cool about that story, and I, got, I get goosebumps just thinking about it, that Justin's words, because they came from a kingdom place of truth and grace, those words became a refuge and a shelter and a place of healing for a young man who was literally experiencing the pain of being assaulted outside of shelter by hurtful words that were destroying his life. And those words destroying his life caused him to go out and try and destroy other people's lives. I was on an airplane just a few weeks ago and sat next to a young lady. Long story short, she uh, opens up about her life and her divorce. And then it gets into the shame and the condemnation that she's been experiencing. And she, uh, She's like, I don't know why I keep making these really bad decisions. And and as I sat there, I felt the words, right, of God, those healing words inviting her to come into the shelter and be free from the attacks of shame and condemnation. And I just started to speak, right, using words. I don't know this girl, I don't know her situation, I can't really do anything to fix it, but I started to tell her. I said, she, she had a belief in God and she had received Christ at some point in her life, but she says, I haven't been to church in a long time and uh, you know, it's, I, I don't talk to God like I should and I, I'm very distant from Him. And I said, you know what? God is not looking at your mistakes and your sins. Yes, our sins grieve Him, but here, here's the picture. You have a heavenly Father who is calling you, his daughter, to come to his presence and receive his love. He wants to throw his arms around you and he wants to let you know that he cares about you and he loves you and your mistakes are not so big that they will keep your heavenly father from embracing you and healing you. The things that you've done are keeping you away, but God is like, I love you and I don't want you to live with the voices that are tearing you down when it's my voice that declares who you really are, not the sins that you've committed. She starts crying on this plane. And, and literally, it was words, it was the power of words breaking chains that have been on her for years. All that to say, we see David, King David, and he gives us these two keys to dwelling in the shelter of God. These two keys working together. Now check this out. Because maybe you feel like you're under the, <laughs> The roar of the lion and the bite of the cobra and the arrows that fly by day and the terror at night. Maybe this stuff is just eating you up. And God is saying, listen, if you'll understand these two keys, you can live in the shelter I've provided. David says, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Think about this. The two ways that you and I dwell in the secret place It is the words of our mouth, I will say, even though he invited me, even though there's a secret place, I've got to get my words on earth in agreement with heaven. There's something that happens like, you know, here's God, God provides wood and our words provide a spark. And when my words coming out of my physical mouth align with God's promise in heaven, they are ignited, and God allows me to access something because it's like heaven touching earth. This is a law of divine human cooperative. There's, I don't know why God did it. I don't understand fully why the law exists, but I know that it works, right? We see this, Matthew twelve thirty four. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So, so the meditation of my heart will produce words, and my words will also reinforce the meditation of my heart and when I will be proactive about using my words to glorify God, to align with scripture, to uh, uh, stand against the enemy, to uh, declare who I am in Christ versus the mistakes that are trying to define me in my life. I promise you this is why so many of us, me included in times in my life, have lived far below the life that he called us to It's because the enemy has hijacked the rudder of my tongue and has caused me to actually speak death and discouragement. And God is like, until I get this mouth aligned with the Messiah, I'm going to live a mediocre existence. Yes, saved, but not fully satisfied the way that I should. And so this is the law of the lips. It's coming into agreement with heaven while you're on earth. We know that God is relational, and I'm going to wrap up with one last big thought here. We know that God is relational. We know that God wants partnership. So what does He do? Because He wants us to come to Him. He said, I created this law, and it's going to require conversation and declaration. God didn't want us just to sit on our own. And so look at some of these scriptures that support this law and support you coming into His presence. James 4.2 says, Yet you do not have what you want because you do not ask for it. See, God knows your need, but God's God's not moved according to need. He's moved according to seed. Until I ask, I can have needs that go unmet simply because I didn't use the law of my lips and enter the provision by declaring and asking God. He wants relationship. Here's another passage that supports this, Mark eleven twenty three. 23. Truly I tell you, if anyone says to the mountain, he, he wants us to speak to our mountains. If anyone says to the mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their hearts, there's the heart meditation, words of my mouth, meditation of my heart, they're, they're combined, and does not doubt in their heart, but believes what they say will happen, it will be done for them. And then finally, we see this great picture of attack, shelter in Ephesians chapter 6. If you get a chance, read this chapter. I'm not going to read it for the sake of time. I'll paraphrase. But you see God pointing out all this armor, armor put on the helmet of salvation and, you know, shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And he's naming all these pieces of the armor in which we do war. And then he gets into this one part and he says, take up the shield of faith, which is able to quench every fiery arrow of the evil one. Think about this. So what's a shield? It is a, it's a shelter. It's a, it's a guard to deflect or absorb the fiery arrows of the enemy. Now watch this because this is where it really hits home. This is such a key. It didn't just say the shield of faith will quench the arrows of the enemy, but fiery arrows. Arrows are bad enough. Why you got to light them on fire? Now, now we, we get the picture here, right? Because there's the initial damage when Satan pulls back his bow and launches the arrow of accusation at you. He launches the arrow of condemnation. He sends forth the arrows of temptation. And they're sent to pierce our heart and our mind. And after they pierce our heart and our mind, the goal then is not just to stick you with the pain Of that condemnation or that guilt or that temptation but it's actually then secondarily meant to to inflame your life um, and destroy it by consuming us with a fire that is produced after we're stuck with that initial arrow of accusation these are whispers these are words that he uses now how does this happen imagine you know I mean there's so much offense right now but somebody gets offended and You have the choice to trust God with the shield of faith, to trust God and be sheltered in the secret place by refusing to take offense. But what happens? I take offense and all of a sudden I feel the sting of that arrow. But if I don't repent of taking the offense and I don't renounce that offense and I don't forgive the one who offended me, if that thing sits there, then we start to meditate on the arrow, don't we? We start to meditate on the pain it caused. And then we start to look at how deep that arrow went in us. And man, this is going to be so difficult to get this arrow out of me. Why did they say this to me? Why did they do this to me? And we start to literally get consumed and infatuated and obsessed with the arrow. And it's still a flame. And all of a sudden, the flames of bitterness on the tip of that arrow, they start to rise up and they start to consume us. And now what what was just the, the prick of offense has now turned into the flames of bitterness. And now out of our own mouth, we're like fire-breathing dragons that are breathing out the bitterness. And sometimes we start to burn people that had nothing to do with the original offense. Why? Because there's life and death and the power of the tongue. And this is what God's calling us to. He says, I want you to use the shield of faith to quench those arrows, to guard against those arrows. Well, how does faith come. The Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Listen, if I want to protect myself against these things, then I must build up my faith or lift my faith by my mouth declaring the word of God. And when I use the law of the lips to come into agreement with him, it's like raising a shield of faith and stepping into an incredible divine shelter. And then, of course, he says, take up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And so I love this because I will say that which God has said, because God's said is my sword, and trusting his said is my shield. So when fear comes, I will say, God has not given me a spirit of fear, but a power love and a sound mind. When condemnation comes for mistakes I've made, I will say there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. When the enemy attacks my money and my wallet is thin and my my finances are on fumes, I will say, God shall supply all my need according to his riches and glory. And like Isaiah, the prophet, who had a picture of God and he saw God and when he saw God, his next reaction was to see how unclean his lips were. When you get a picture of the holiness of God, he points out this key. And, and Isaiah says, I'm a man of unclean lips, and so are my people. An Angel goes to the altar, he grabs this, this, uh, this coal with tongs, and he touches his lips. And you know what's cool? When Isaiah's lips were touched in this vision, his whole self was made clean, and he was free from the guilt. So I wanna invite you today as we close. Use your mouth as a weapon against the enemy and an entrance into the secret place. And maybe you need the Lord to touch your lips and purify them because of the negativity, the lack of gratitude, the bitterness, the offense, and the attacks. Don't be condemned about it. Be excited that the Lord pointed it out because the enemy was using that to keep you from God's best. Let me pray for you and then we're gonna close. Father, we just come before you. We thank you that God, there's no enemy And there's no attack that is so big that you can't stop it and you can't turn it back on the enemy we thank you so much that god you've pointed out the things in our heart and in our lives that are keeping you keeping us from your best you didn't point it out to condemn us but to give us freedom and i pray for those god that have been under the power of the cobra and the lion and and the arrows that fly by day and the terror at night and the fear and the worry and the anxiety and we declare in Jesus' name that God, we are not slaves to these things, but we can be free when we come in alignment with your promises and our mouth declares the words of the Messiah. And so in Jesus' name, would you heal our lips? Would you heal the meditation of our heart? And would you help us go on the offensive by using the law of the lips to enter the secret place and walk in victory? In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thank you for joining. If this is an an encouragement to you and you think it would be to somebody else, why don't you share this message uh, with someone? And if you want more information, you can go to redeem.church. Have a great week. God bless you. We love you.